is the Rams Review Podcast. Discussion, insights, interviews and analysis. All passion, all Derby County. The Rams Review Podcast is proud to be part of the Fan Hub 100, where fans come first. Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of the Rams Review Podcast and as it's an international break, it has to be a bit of a review of things going on and of course off, as always with Derby County, on the, off and on the pitch. I'm joined by... Corey, as always, Corey, how are we doing? Jason, hello. It's been a while since we've been 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 together on a podcast, so it's good to be back in the saddle with you, buddy, and, and talking all things Derby County, which I don't really know. Is there really that much going on these days? Uh, maybe, maybe not. We don't know. But somebody who probably does know um, is is none other than uh, Ed Dawes. Ed, how are we doing? I'm looking very bleached and pale. <laughs> yeah, the, the, all right. The, Good. Well, that's the main thing. At least you're here. We, we know you're here. So, that, so that's all good. Um, thanks for joining us, Ed. Of course, as we mentioned, uh, we're going to an international break is a time is a time for reflection. But one of the things I wanted to start with, as we've not talked about it on the podcast, was actually Saturday's game against Swansea mm. and also touching on Reading because uh, we haven't done that either. Now, yeah. I was there at Reading. Unfortunately, I wasn't there on Saturday. Uh, I don't know if that's a good or bad omen, to be fair, because from what I hear, it wasn't the greatest of performances from the Rams, but they did mm. they did what they needed to do to get something out of the game. But from the uh, the highlights that I've seen, and obviously the, the the bits of commentary that I've heard from yourself on the on the new uh, Rams Daily podcast, which I, I like, can I just uh, get, give a plug out for that? I quite like that. Uh, so from the from the bits that you've covered on the game, um, it did sound like. You know, Swansea probably were the better side, but at the end of the day, they couldn't they couldn't break down Derby's resistance. Ed is probably the one of the only three who actually saw the game on Saturday. Um, the, the the floor is yours a little bit, just to give us a little bit about Swansea. You're the second person who said that to me today about Derby's performance. My first was the barber, actually, and uh, no, no word of a lie. Um, and he 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 said the same thing as you, and I, I don't know where that's come across because I I felt that Derby did enough to get a point in that game, a good point. And um, Swansea had 76% possession and it was boring side to side, tried to go down one side, tried to go down the other, you know, their striker who scored six goals this season had to be substituted because he was having no luck. Um, And it took half an hour for the management team to think, you know, we need to change something. And in the post-match interview, Wayne Rooney said he was going to change it after 20 minutes, but then Richard Stearman picked up an injury and they monitored him for a bit. And then they changed it. And when they changed it, they got more success. But then half time happened. They had that team talk, came out second half. They created a number of chances in the second half, just looking at the book. Um, they had a, a moment just about 10 minutes into the second half where they had three chances in three, uh, two or three minutes and, and, and should have scored at least one. They had um, a mistake which sent Lawrence one on one. He had a shot saved by the goalkeeper. The follow up was saved by Ben Hamer. And then another go- another chance at goal was also saved by Ben Hamer. And, and, you know, to have three attempts in one move and not score any of them. 
Um, that was unfortunate. Um, Lawrence had a couple of shots and, and, and Jason Knight as well, but it took Derby well into the second half to start creating stuff. And they brought on Buchanan for Stearman, shuffled for Scythe across. Um, they seemed to play, the fullbacks seemed to be a lot wider and further up the pitch and that got some joy. But, you know, it's that same old thing really. When the opposition are going to have all the possession, you need somebody up front and, you know, bless Jack Stretton, he ran his heart out for, how fun, how long did he play for? He played for 63 minutes. He ran his heart out. And um, if you haven't got an experienced striker up there, you're going to struggle. And, and that's the same old thing. I would have told you that last time we chatted, but it's those kind of games where you've got to have that cutting edge to break the deadlock and to try and get one. There was only one goal in that game for either side, but um, neither got it. And, and it's that more experienced player potentially leading the line that could got could have got Derby some joy. But, you know, four points from two home games, that's a great sort of comeback, isn't it, really? Oh, absolutely. And I think, to be honest with you, something that I've, I've noticed, Ed, you'll obviously know because you've commented on them, games certainly against Swansea at Pride Park over the last probably two, three, four years since they fell out of the Premier League have always been that type of game. I remember one under Frank Lampard was a was a nothing game and it, it took two bits of brilliance from Harry mm. Wilson, I think it was that day, to, to, to break the deadlock. They, they are a very organised side and I think it was, was it last year when obviously we weren't there and they come into it on 17 clean sheets already and Derby tore them apart for the first 15, 20 minutes and, and just managed to get, I think it was a 2-0 lead, I think, quite quickly. But you know, you know what you're going to get from Swansea, even though they've changed a little bit, but it does feel like that's been one of them fixtures over the years at Pride Park that they're a they're a team that come and, and and know how to know how to play as an away as an away team. And we know Derby's troubles uh, of this year of you know break, well over the years of breaking breaking teams down and offering and offering something different. But I think that the last point there that you you've just made on four points from from two home games. Optimistically, that's kind of what me and Corey said that. You know, you, you would hope Derby would get. How important do you think it is with everything going on that Derby did end, you know, this this batch of games with with those four points? I think it's really important. I think I think, you know, Wayne Rooney all the way through has tried to separate what's going on on the field with what's going on off the field and and how he's dealt with the situation of protecting his players and squad from you know, the troubles that are occurring, and but they know about it because they've said so and they've been very clear to, you know, put their commiserations, as it were, across to those people losing their jobs. But I think what he's drilled into them is that they have nowhere to hide this season because the moment that any supporter thinks that they've given up, they'll be hammered, you know, they'll be hammered by, by the fans. And there's no suggestion of that at all, which is fantastic. But going into an international break, they are shattered because there's a small squad and, and you know, they've played some really tough matches. If you think about Bramall Lane was intense. They got peppered all second half when they went down to 10 men. They nearly hung on for a point and just unfortunate balance from Curtis cost them with the penalty. But, you know, they, they beat Stoke. They're under the cost second half, 2-1 up. Uh, Reading came at them second half after they'd taken the lead and they defended that out and Reading were reduced to only, I think, one chance that hit the outside of the post, real chance, where the goalkeeper was beaten. So they've worked tirelessly to, to sort of get themselves over the line and, and either winning games or, or getting a point. And now they can, 
you know, have a little bit of a rest and 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 go again, you know, at Preston. And I, I think when the season kicked off, I don't think I know specifically for from my own opinion, I thought Derby would struggle. I, mm. I didn't think that Derby had done enough really in the transfer market. And obviously, we knew they didn't do enough because they were under a transfer embargo, and we know the restrictions that they were under, and and getting the people that they got in and whatever. Have you been pleasantly surprised with this team so far this season? Because take away that points deduction, they'd have 13 points. It'd be five points off the playoffs. I mm. mean, that if you had said to me, points deduction aside, they would be in, they'd be in 13, five points off, of, you know, 14th or whatever with 13 points, five points off the playoffs. I would have snapped your hand off at this point. And obviously with the points deduction, you know, it's, it's putting them in good stead with the competitiveness of this team to, to get out of this mire, isn't it? It is. I am surprised. Um, I think um, Wayne Rooney always said last season that he was inheriting players. There wasn't enough time for him to have his football philosophy instilled in them because it was Saturday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Saturday, Tuesday, Wednesday, all the way through from when he took the charge permanently. Um, and you can, you can see that whoever he's got left in his squad, he's been working hard in the summer period to, to get that philosophy across now they showed it quite a lot in the early part of the season I think they're being found out a little with the importance of Revel Morrison in the style of Derby's play which is why for the last three games I would say that he's been a passenger in the second half which is why he's not finished the game um, you can't really afford that but um, I also think the squad it's been whittled down but he's got rid of some players who had been there too long, who you could probably improve on, um, you know. And he's got some players in that are his mates from experience, like Jackie Elka, you know, he's played with him for England, he's played against him, he's played with him. Um, he's got a very experienced defender in Richard Stearman, he's been around, you know, aggressive defender to play alongside Curtis. Um, and he's still got the likes of Nathan Byrne and, and Lee Buchanan and Jason Knight back from injury. And, and of course, on the sidelines, we're still waiting for the Rolls-Royce of Christian Bielik to turn up in the middle of, middle of midfield. So there's more to come from this squad. But it's when injuries start to take toll, you just wonder whether that'll be a problem. But yeah, pleasantly surprised. But I think also the supporters are pleasantly surprised. I mean, they've been starved of football in, in the flesh for 18 months. And, and you can tell by the atmosphere at Pride Park and away games that they're just, you know, so happy to be able to watch their team again. And Ed, that the fans and, and the camaraderie that everybody's feeling right now is something I know Jason and I want to touch on a little bit later. But it le what you just said there leads me into a, a point that I had written on my notes preparing for this was the return of Christian Bielik uh, and the return of Colin Kazim Richards, um, because we know numbers are we know numbers are low. How important? I, I, obviously, they're going to be important in terms of numbers, but how much of a mentality boost? Is it going to be for this squad to know that two of probably Derby's best players are going to be coming back and ready to be playing? I wouldn't say I wouldn't say some probably probably December first around that time frame. There are there are times in, in games that I've seen so far this season since Kazim's got injured where you could really see his influence would be useful, um, especially in the games where Derby in the second half have been under the pressure. You know, they've been clearing the ball and it's been coming straight back. But if you can get it to Kazim halfway up the pitch, maybe he can hold it up and give you defence a respite and runners from midfield can can feed into that. So he's 
not only is he a voice in the dressing room, but he has a, a certain sort of, you know, string to his bow that can prevent Derby from being under pressure consistently, which we have seen in recent games. Uh, and Bielik, well, you just hope that you can get him fit and he can play for the rest of the season because he is a difference in class. And if you think about the good little run Derby had last season, I don't think they conceded many goals. He scored his first goal, I think it was at Birmingham. And they they absolutely hammered Birmingham that night. And they played well at that time when he and Shinny, he and Bird were in that midfield because you had his steel and his passing ability. Um, and they've really missed that. So again, he's had two ACLs now. And again, he can come back and hopefully be fit enough to, to play in that midfield. Jason? Yeah, I, I think... Um... That kind of leads me into a point as well. Uh, you, we, we, we're talking about the, the midfield there. And for me personally, as a fan, Graham Shinney has probably been, over the last 18 months, Derby's most consistent player. I, I know Not everything... He is one of those players where not, not everything he does is, is recognised, I think. He, do, he does do quite a lot. And I think it's only when you really take him out of that side, which I know we haven't done for quite some time, but when he's out of that side that you you miss that that battling quality, that breaking up play, that that's what he does. Obviously, him and Bielik are a slightly similar player, but obviously Bielik's probably got a better passing range. And then you've obviously got Max Bird, who is that passing that that passing kind of a player. When Bielik's fit, Ed, I mean, we would presume he comes straight back into this Derby side if he's the same Bielik. The big conundrum is... Who, who misses out? Or is there an option where you could play all three without <laughs> losing something going further forward, which ultimately you're probably going to end up doing? It's a difficult one, isn't it? Because that's everyone's got a difference of opinion on this. Um, I like Bulik and Shinny because I think it gives you some steel. I think Max Bird has a great passing ability and passing range. I still think Max Bird's time will come. Um, but I think if you've got those two in your holding midfield role, you've got some real steel. And if one of them's going to sit, the other one can go. Um, and either of them can do that. You know, having Belix passing range in the final third is incredible, especially if you've got Baldock running off the shoulder, which he likes to do. Um, and I think that's where, you know, that's where Morrison needs to step up a little bit more, I think, because he seems, he, he, I think he has to think bigger to try and get the effectiveness and the passing range forward that he had in the early part of the season. But now they just stick a man on him or kick him. And he seems to lose a little bit of heart. But I, I would bring Bielik straight back in after he's had his 23s games, possibly a substitute appearance, whatever. Uh, but don't rush him back too soon because he's had two serious injuries. And mm. I mean, we saw it with Fozzie, didn't we? We saw him. He's had two ACLs and he's come back and obviously he scored that winner against Reading. But you just hope that these players, when they do come back, they can soldier through and they are fitter and stronger than ever. One one of the points that me and Corey mentioned, I mean, we were going back a, a few weeks ago now about Christian Bielik coming back into the side. Is there a place for him at centre-half in this Derby side, Ed? I appreciate we've obviously got the experience of Jagielka and Davis, but as far as I'm, my understanding is Jagielka's deal's only till January at the moment. Obviously, we hope that something can be changed there. But if that doesn't... Um, we, we've seen Christian Bielik play at centre-off for Derby. Obviously, it was a couple of years ago. And for me, he didn't look his most comfortable. But, of course, he was just coming back from an injury. We, we've seen the best of him that little bit further forward. But 
he is a body that could be used at centre off as well, isn't he? If need be, he is. But I would say that they'll be trying to do a deal for Jags in January because obviously now in administration with administrators looking forward, looking to do deals, looking to have deals done with the EFL about points, about signings, about all that kind of stuff. You know, I'm pretty sure that's high on the agenda to, to sort of extend the contracts that are only short. I think if you've got Bielik at centre-half, you must have a number of injuries. I know he can play there, but I think he's a waste, absolute waste there because, you know, you want him breaking up the play and bursting out of midfield with possession to put it wide left or wide right and then down the middle as well. I think that's where he's, I think that's where Derby were most successful. I've always thought as well with that kind of a player that when you you can play those two two roles, if if you're coming in at centre back, you can see that that extra ten yards further forward where, you know, that's where I would play as well. It, it's that obviously having that mentality of being able to not overstep the mark and step out from defence, and then obviously you know cr- create a gap there which you know we we don't want to be creating. Um, I think the other thing, it moves us slightly into the, the next point that I'd got, which is about, obviously, just, just the individual players as, as an individual. We know that the team performances, as we've just touched on, I think have, have surprised uh, quite a few. And I would, all, I would say that Derby are, are very competitive. I think the only game so far, really, that certainly that I've seen is, is obviously the Birmingham game, which kind of we got bullied from. But just going individually a little minute, Ed... Um, uh, we'll, we'll start with the, the players, you know, the newcomers coming in. Um, have any of have any of them really shone above anything else for you so far, or is it? You know, you mentioned there, Ravel Morrison. We've seen flashes, but then I, he, he does go missing in games. Uh, that, he, but there was always a question on on his on his consistency and things like that. It's certainly over in England. Um, have any of the main newcomers really stood out for you? I think Allsop's had two solid games in goal. He got had a wobbly start, but I think he's done really well in goal for the last two games. Um, Jagielka's solid, you know, even at the age of what, 39, 40, he's absolutely solid in that defence, reads the game really well, has a yard of pace in his head. Um, we haven't really seen him tested with pace yet. Um, and then, I mean, Baldock for me, there's a lot of running. Um, he had a golden chance at Sheffield United to put the ball in the net in the first half and fluffed his lines. Um, for me, uh, it's difficult. Morrison started really well. But as I say, that game at Birmingham, he got kicked in the first 10 minutes and it knocked him off his stride completely. He had so much ball in the first 20 minutes at Birmingham. Then he got kicked. And in fact, everybody went, you know, got kicked. He got kicked consistently by different players, which meant it was hard for the referee to well he could have done but he didn't he could have protected him but he didn't um so no not really i mean it, you know the fact that jason knight's back i think that adds a lot of a lot of uh, creativity and aggression and pace but i think the rest of them are that the newbies the rest of them are, are quite solid i mean richard simmons solid and i like him because he likes to put his foot in you know aggression i like that um for a defender so I wouldn't say anybody's massively stand out uh, just yet. And what about the other, you know, the, the flip of the coin there, the other side? Is there anybody that you were hoping for better from this season, and we've just we've just not seen it? One 
name kind of springs to mind for me, but I'm going to ask you first, just to, just to see if we're kind of on the same wavelength. Tom Lawrence? Uh, I, I think Tom Lawrence is um, inconsistent anyway. So mm. he, he, he's not the name that jumps out at me. Yeah, I think I think Tom has got the captaincy and I think he leads and he's vocal. But he, he, he I think we need more from him. But then I've been saying that for what, how long has he been there? Four years? Four years, yeah. Um, Morrison we talked about. Um, Lee Buchanan's probably dropped off a little bit, but then Fozzie's back now and, and he's going to force him all the way. But they can use Buchanan further forward, which is good to see. Um Go on, I'm intrigued actually. What your who's your name is? I think for me personally, and obviously it's somebody that's just not been in the side. Is is Camille Yozviak? He's yeah. We know he's incon- We know he was inconsistent last season, but you know, and you always try, don't you? you? Always try and build up a player. Oh well, he's had a good. He had a pretty decent summer with Poland. He's still getting called up from Poland. We heard in in you know in interviews with with other journalists that he found it really difficult coming over in in COVID times, and, and quite rightly. And everything was kind of pointing to this is we hope this is going to be now the real Camille Yozviak. Mm. And then was it two games in at Peterborough? He had an absolute stinker, um, which. Let, let, you know, we, we, yeah, we can't say any more. Cost, cost us the game. And then it took him quite a long time, I think, to get back in into the manager's thinking. But then he does come in and makes three, four, I thought, pretty decent performances. And you just thought to yourself, right, that this is the Camille Yosvac that you are hoping for. And then I'm not sure if it was an injury or if he just missed out on a squad. But we, we've not seen him since. He didn't play on Saturday. Uh, yeah, he didn't play on Saturday. He was on the bench. Yeah. Um, he didn't come on against Reading either, and he was on the bench. Uh, he came on against Sheffield United, but that's it. Everyone's talking about him like when he plays for Poland. He knows his job. Mm. You know, he knows his job. He's up and down. He's defending. He's attacking. There's links. You know, there's, there's t- telepathy between between the players. Um, he he hasn't. I, I don't think he's settled. The only time he looked settled was when Christian Bielik was in the team with him. But um, I don't think he settled. I think it's been hard for him, as you say, lockdown. He was signed under a failing regime in Philip Koku um, in, a, in a style of football that you're not going to get the best out of your, your quick, flashy winger if you're keeping the ball at the back and playing metronome football. Um, so, yeah, I mean, he's, he's yet to find his feet and... and whether he will or not, I just don't know whether whether he's suited to the championship. I just don't know. He's certainly suited to international football because we saw it in, we saw it recently and we saw it in the Euros. But yeah, there's something about him where we're kind of waiting for him to kick on and he isn't. And that's sad, really, because um, you know, there's a there's a there's a transfer fee there that Derby owe, shall we say? Um, and yet we're not seeing anything for it just yet. And Ed, that 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 leads me on specifically to my to my next point as well. Um, getting a little bit away from kind of merging here from the playing side to the playing and business side to the to the business side, and then obviously the future. Um, we did read where you know Darby still owe quite a bit of money to like Poznan for for his transfer and everything. Like obviously the administrators have come in and I want to get your opinion on that shortly. 
is, and with, with obviously them trying to clear debts and everything like that is one, are we looking at a fire sale in January of players? And two, could Camille Jujviak, because they owe that money and they could get that, I guess, liability off the, off the books, would he be one they'd be looking to, to potentially find a buyer for? Potentially, but the administrators said there wouldn't be a fire sale. There wouldn't need to be because they feel that they have, you know, the right attraction for the ownership of the club and a plan. And obviously they made 20 people redundant um, the day before the Reading game, uh, which was awful, an awful day at the club. I was there. They were doing, we were doing the press uh, conference at the ground before the match on the Tuesday and people were walking past in tears and everything. It was horrible. And, and you know, you, people you'd know and you've known for years from faces, from just chatting, they're gone. But, um, yeah, I mean, they owe, they owe people. They owe Arsenal for Bielik. They owe uh, Poznan for Camille. They, <laughs> and yet, you know, there's no surprise when Derby get charges by the EFL charge sheet for, for owing people because you can't sign players and not pay for them. it's like anything in life you can't acquire things on a payment plan and not pay it and and you just don't know how that's allowed to happen um and i think there's a lot of i mean i don't know how far you want to go in in depth in this whole conversation but surely that's um surely that's a no-no in the first place have a payment plan and you just wonder why these things were agreed or ratified by the EFL or who, who was overseeing the transfer. There's so many questions about everything that maybe one day we'll get answers to. It does feel like to me, reading things and everything like that, that, you know, I understand a lot of football clubs structure the payments now, whatever to whatever, which is weird to me. It's like, if you want to pay 8 million pound for my player. Just I want 8 million pound today. I don't want it over the course of this contract because I want to be able to use that money. Right. Are going to get two million a year for Bielik over five years? Just give him the ten million up front and be done with it. It does kind of seem like. Um, so some- that's the problem. That's huh? the problem. That is the problem. Anybody outside the Premier League can't do that. They can't just pay ten million yeah. up front because they just don't have that money. Even before COVID, you know, and that's why parachute payments are such a a crazy thing and, and should be scrapped because, you know. It's just widening the gap and making chairman owners gamble more. I mean, and when we you know look that. at a team when you when you look at a team like Fulham, they were able to get Tottenham's backup goalkeeper essentially in Gazaniga to be their to be their starter. There's no way he's coming to a championship club unless you're paying him London wages on top of coming from a big six Premier League club. Then they're getting the uh, Rodrigo Munoz from South America, I think, for eight million pounds. And then they're signing Harry Wilson and they're like, well, we're not going to pay for Harry Wilson for at least two years, but he's our player to Liverpool. And then it's kind of skirting the FFP regulation. And then you obviously have the, the, the parachute payment. It does seem very unfair. And I'm not saying that from a Derby fans perspective. I'm just saying that from, from any perspective, I know obviously a lot of teams are struggling. Middlesbrough, the payments run out. Swansea's the payment run out. I knew uh, that game against uh, Derby Aston Villa did in the playoff final. If, if mm. had not got up that game, you're looking at Jack Grealish, he's going. You're looking at all these players, that team's going to be broke apart. Um, and, and that's just systematic of the thing. I think for me, though, I look at the, the Derby situation and I say, it looks like somebody was asleep at the switch here. He wasn't interested in paying the bills and, and 
uh, hey, excuse me, this, this needs to be paid. Yeah, yeah, we'll take care of it. And they just, you know, like in the Mike Bassett movie, they just slide it under the door and it just, it just kind of disappears. And, you know, there's notes from Alpha Ramsey and stuff from years ago um, under there. And Ed, this is a question I wanted to ask you because not only do you commentate for BBC Radio Derby and, and you've, you've done it, but we talked last time you were on and you have a long affinity to Derby County and you're a Derby County fan and you've grown up with Derby County. As a fan and as a commentator, I know they're two separate things. How did the news of administration, how did that, how did that feel for you that your football club, not the one that you necessarily, your job is to cover, but you as a fan, Ed Dawes, the man who went to the baseball ground and grew up with his grandfather and his father all go into these stadiums. Administration, I mean, sum it up for me, Ed. Um, I've been asked that question quite a few times, actually, and I, I'll give you the same answer. I, I can't let it affect me. I have my views, but I can't publicize them because it would, would, it would destroy me as a professional to be taken seriously. Do you know what I mean? And I think there's, yeah. there's, there's things that people believe about what has happened at Derby County. There are things that people want asking, answers they want to hear personally. It's surreal because it's obviously my team as well as the, the team I work covering, which I'm very privileged to do so. But I have positioned myself throughout my career that I can be right down the middle. Um, and the only time that would waver is probably, you know, during a match commentary when potentially I would question decisions made by officials a little <laughs> bit too much if I felt they were wrong or, you know, the emotion of winning away from home and in the final minutes. And, but that go, all goes into the commentary, you know, that that's, that's the, the unique, I don't know, club I have in my bag to be able to deliver what I say with a bit more oomph than others potentially, but I can't take my eye off the prize and that is the job. And that is covering impartially the football club and off the field. It's been a brilliant story. And the moment I got that news, I mean, it, it was a Friday night. We had four kids in the house and we were settled down just after tea. So, you know, I got a little sniff that this was happening. And then all of a sudden I went, right, let's be first. And we were first. Um, and, and, you know, that was really pleasing that we were first because it's a, you know, a dog-eat-dog journalism world. And, you know, certain people have better hotlines to others than than us especially after like the last eight months but yeah um it's painful for everyone but um you kind of get the understanding that it's not the death of this football club it could be the beginning it could be the beginning and yeah there's a long way between Derby County and Liverpool and Manchester City and then teams like that but I don't think that's what any Derby fan would be realistically hoping for because you want to strike a balance of being able to keep your club as your club with familiar faces working at it and having that connection between club and local people and supporters around the country and the world as you are. You, you want to keep that affinity. But it could be the beginning because just look at Leicester. And I'm not, I mean, Leicester were fortunate, weren't they? They were fortunate that they went into administration in League One and 
they'd already been in League One. So, you know, then those points deductions rules were implemented to stop clubs doing that. Um, and they got picked up on the cheap by the Thai family. And we know what happened after that. It's been a fantastic, you know, ownership that has changed the club immeasurably forever. But if you think about where they were before, there was no hope of that. Um, but for Derby, I think personally, I just hope it's better times ahead for fans to cover um, because not, it's not just me. You know, there's so many people out there who this is the lifeblood of their, their community, but also it's their life, isn't it? It's, that's why lockdown was so hard for so many fans because they'd work. <laughs> well, they would work. If they were working from home or whatever, they would, when it's normal times, they work in the week, they spend their money on going to Pride Park or going away from home. When it was lockdown, they couldn't do anything. They paid their subscription and they could watch it and listen. Um, just times ahead, I hope, are better. Um, but the news of administration was <laughs> quite, it's quite perverse, really. It's kind of, um, it's kind of a relief because something's happened in a way it's been forced this issue has now been forced you know the reason we are there as a club said we <laughs> uh, the reason they're there as a club is because well, it's been well documented but now that has forced a closure and you deal with the outcome and that's what the administrators are doing and then you take it to the next level they have new owners Wayne Rooney gets some money you can build a squad they can get out of league one if they're there the fans will come back. They're coming back. There's still a lot. There's a lot of them who are still nervous. Um, but but I, I just hope, in a perverse way, this has, you know, opened the door of the field. Let the ball out. Let's go. See what happens next. And then you know, when all this administration stuff is through and they can they can start to rebuild and fix the gate, then I think it'll be better. I hope. <laughs> Because, yeah, I think I think for me, Ed, it, you know, when you look at the whole the takeover thing and everything that, that came from that last, basically, it was almost a year ago, you know, about eleven months ago when that when that news first broke and the Ben Zayed group and everything like that. It always kind of felt like there needed to be some sort of forcing function here, you know, that at some point we needed to just move on, mm. we to just draw a line under it and let's just, let's just move on and worry about the football. And I feel like that's finally, like you've said with administration, unfortunately it's come to it, but it feels like a forcing function where it's like, okay, cool. We have, a we know we can start from here. We know we can move on and that hopefully be better for the football club. And Jason, before I turn it over to you, Ed, I just want to ask you one more slight question about the, the job you have as a journalist, because oftentimes I read on Twitter and stuff like that, that, that people or trolls or whatever the lack of the term that you want to you want to say they go well why can't you ask them this question why can't you ask them this why can't you ask them this and i'm sitting here and i'm reading them i'm like i'm pretty sure you know Ed, it's been in the game a long time i'm pretty sure he wants to ask it i'm pretty sure that question has come to his mind but either he knows the answer and he can't say it or he can't ask the question on air or whatever what's one thing you wish that fans understood about that job and that role that you have and that that element of trust that you have between the bbc and Derby County Football Club, and you're in the middle of that. Speak about that relationship and how important that is, and sometimes why you can't ask 
questions that, that people, oh, well, you're only giving them canned questions or whatever. Speak a little bit about that. Well, let's take the Mel Morris interview, for example. Um, I've had a relationship with Mel and Stephen for years, you know, element of trust. Um, told little things for my information only over the years. And then obviously, you know, Bin Zayed group, was it last year? I can't remember now. <laughs> it's been such a... I think it was Halloween strange. last year. Yeah, Bin Zayed group. And they... The moment that, that people in, in football clubs start ignoring the press team and try and deal with the media themselves, then there's a problem, I think, because you will end up getting tripped up by journalists with the questions they ask you. You'll be led down a path where you'll, be, you'll say something you've not realised you've said and then it'll just get a reaction. I think um, I think that's what potentially the club were guilty of. But then they just shut up shop completely. Um, I never said a word. And that was worse because they were too um, nervous about tripping up, being tripped up, which is, you know, to, to us, that's great in a way, because it means that we've done our jobs, but then it became, well, why haven't you got an interview? Why aren't you asking these questions? Now, if you're batted back for eight months solid on any questions to go on the record with the answers, it becomes so frustrating. But then the emotional side and the horrible side of Twitter is that Twitter has a lot of people who are, who don't get it, they don't get it, and they are aggressive and abusive, um, but they're also hiding behind their phones and keyboards, you know, they won't come and ask you and abuse you face to face, they'll be all right mate, all right Ed, how you doing, all right, yeah, yeah. you know, as people are, um, but some just don't get it and some criticise consistently i mean i've been criticized by people in derby who should know better shall we say um and i've been abused but the abuse is fine because it's just it's just words isn't it um but when people are you know in a circle of whatever who know you and then your professionalism is put in doubt that hurts especially when they won't chat to you, you know, face-to-face, -face, they'll do it publicly on social media. Um, that interview with Mel Morris, I got on the Sunday. I lined it up on the Saturday night after the game against, was it Stoke? Yeah. I was talking to Mel throughout that day on message, and um, he said, I'll talk to you. And then at nine o'clock that morning, we connected on Zoom, me and Steve Nicholson, because we, Nico and I, because we'd been abused social media wise so long, we just said, let's, whatever we get, let's go in together as the two locals. Let's, you know, go in and, and do this interview together and, and credit each other, which we did. Um, 
But at nine o'clock, we were accepted into the Zoom meeting and he didn't want to do it. And that's fair enough because there was something that happened that I'm not going to say, but he was shaken and, um, you know, it, it rocked him. And, and even the, the, the fact that we have the trust, you know, between us, uh, he was he was pretty, pretty wound up. And then he said he didn't want to do it. He didn't want to do it on video, which we didn't. And he didn't want it recorded either. And I just said, you know, come on. This this has happened on Friday. And fans need answers. They need to hear your voice now. And and it's going to get a hell of a lot worse if you don't say something and have your say. And he was just like, no, I'm not, I can't. I don't want to do it. I'll talk to you, but I don't want it on tape. I'm like, well, that's... There's absolutely no point in us having this conversation then because I can't do anything with notes. You know, it doesn't have any impact whatsoever. Um, fans won't hear it. But we did do it in the end and um, he had his say. But I was always mindful of of um, getting him to talk, to give his reasons of why everything had gone so badly and he pressed the nuclear button because we never thought that would ever happen. So he talked about it and obviously you've heard the interview and it's still my pinned tweet on my Twitter handle. Um, but the context around that interview is the fact that he didn't want to do the interview. And it's the only interview he has done, which I'm really proud of because it was my exclusive. It's the only interview he was done. He has done. He didn't appear on any other radio station, you know, national radio station at all. He didn't do another interview. Um, and that goes back to the, asking the certain questions. So when you know that he didn't want to do the interview, the first question is not to say, well, where have you been for eight months? Now you'll talk because you put the club into administration. What have you got to say for yourself? If you go into an interview like that, end, that's immediately what you get. Fans are really emotional. They want answers, answers, answers. You've done this, you've done that. They want aggression. They want two-footed tackles above the knee. You just can't do that especially when you're on Zoom, because he can end it like that. Face-to-face, -face, it's different, different world. But in every interview, when you listen back, even when I've, I've presented shows on Radio Derby that aren't sport, um, you, you listen back and you think, I should have pressed them on that. I should have gone back with a second question on that queried various things but that's that's just being a journalist doing a live well it wasn't live but doing an interview and you know full well that your interviewee is very on edge and could terminate the interview and you want to get up to an hour at least of content and answers rather than five minutes and him walking out because that becomes the story then mel morris walks out of an interview after this question that's the story but Fans don't have any answers. Do you, do you understand what I'm trying to say? Yes. So you get so much, I would have asked in this, oh, you've gone light on that. And just, you know, come on. It's, it's, a, it's a tough job. And yeah, there are questions that should have been asked, but weren't. And that's just the life of a journalist, doing interviews like that. It, it's, there are so many things that you, you feel that you could have done better on. And next time, if you get an opportunity, you ask those questions. But yeah, um, the 98% of the people who heard that interview um, appreciated the interview, not the answers, 
but they appreciated the fact that Radio Derby got the interview because no one else did. Me and Nico got the interview. So I was really proud of that. Um, who knows what's going to happen next? Well, yeah, exactly. It's, it, it, is, it is another chapter. But no, I, I mean, obviously, I listened to it as it was breaking um, and listened to it, you know, at first listen. And yeah, it was, I think you're right. It probably didn't answer. Every, Ed, as you all know, with, with all the Derby fans, there are too many questions <laughs> to, to answer at this moment in time. And there will be questions that cannot be answered at this moment in time. I think if I take, you know, if I put my fan, just my fan hat on, I think still, and I'm, I'm sure you know, most journalists who cover the club are probably exactly the same, until they are 100% in the know exactly the damage at the club financially, it's very, it's great that Mel came on. It's great that he had his say, and I'm not going to push you for any sort of uh, remark or statement on that. He, you asked the questions, he answered them. It's simple as that. But I think until it's out in the public domain, exactly how much, yeah. you know, how much in the mire Derby County are as a football club, I don't think fans will actually be able to compute it a, a little bit, I suppose, in some respects, how bad is this for, you know, the, the, the football club. And as far as we're aware, you know, it's something that the administrators have to pr provide that information. So that's obviously where, it's... Yeah, that's where you go again. Yeah, if you can. Be a wait and see. It's unlikely. <laughs> One final question, because I really don't want to go on about this because we've all talked about it to death a little bit, but obviously you have spoken with the administrators. Mm. Um, how have you found that communication of communication a big word that we we know that all broadcasts at derby have been speaking about for the last two years but communication seems a lot better yeah. does it feel a bit of a front from them is that that's where that they're there to do that so you know that's what they're going to do or do you feel it's a bit more genuine than that i think it's genuine they're positive we met carl on wednesday ahead of the reading game he gave us 10 minutes of his time and he was really positive and he was clear and it was Again, you'd listen to that interview and you'd think, um, okay, now we, we, we know which direction the club are going. He's got no, he's got nothing in his, he's got nothing to hide. You know, it's not his club. He's going in to do a job because they were appointed. Do you know what I mean? So therefore, he just, there's, there's no point. He's not going to tell any lies or, or, or lead us down the wrong path, stuff like that. So, the positive news that we think that's going to be the that's going to be it for 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 job losses twenty on the on the Tuesday when he said that on Wednesday that was great. The fact that they're not interested in the presser, the fact that we're not looking at you know touching the playing squad because that sells the tickets, um, that's great. All positive stuff. I think this is just me. I don't know anything concrete. I think you know in the background there are enough suitors to get this pretty much sorted by Christmas, if not January. I don't know how the whole system works speed wise, but I would say that if you think about Mel Morris said year, year ago, there's a lot of interest in Derby County, but in the interview, he said the biggest mistake he made was saying you can have the club for nothing um, and pay off the debt. And then they just sat until the club got to a point where you'd have to put it in administration. So those people are still there, you know, around the ether circling, mm. putting their bids properly forward to administrators. 
but also I think the fact that there is administrators there, they're not going to sell the club to people who are questionable, shall we say, people who could worry you. And I think possibly we have seen, you know, we have seen people making a play for Derby County that it's come out, haven't been able to do this, have done that on Twitter. It's just a bit questionable. So, yeah, I, I just found, I found them, yeah, I found them personable and I found them positive and clear with what they're trying to say. Good. That, that, that obviously, that, that's good news. Um, a, a, just a couple of quick ones left from me, Ed. Um, I want to slightly quickly touch on a point that you mentioned earlier about, obviously, in your commentary, is that, you know, you do kind of have to be straight down the middle with them. But sometimes that over uh, emotion does does kick in. There's one particular commentary um, that I've heard from and this year. And obviously, it was that I, for me personally, it felt raw emotion. Uh, from you, which is, I know something that you don't try and show too much, is obviously the Stoke game. Right, yeah. It, it ju- That, for me, obviously, I was at the game, so obviously I didn't listen to your full commentary, mm. but I listened to the, obviously, the highlights after. That, for me, was probably Ed Dawes stepping away from the, um, you know, the, the actual commentator and showing that little tiny bit of the fan inside him. Mm. Um, and... I know it was like the first one at Pride Park as well. I know there was other, obviously, there was a lot of combinations there, a lot of factors that all came together on that day. Now, obviously, if Stoke could have turned up and turned Derby over 4-0, it, it, would, it probably would have paled into insignificance. But because everything did just, you know, the, the, the path aligned at that, at that Stoke home game, um, for me, it felt, you, you might disagree, but for me, it felt like that was probably the one time that you, this season that you've shown that little yeah. tiny bit more um, of, of, of the fan side of you. And I think that coincides into my into my final question, really. Obviously, being back at the games, having fans back in stadiums, being able to commentate, it's, it's, I suppose it's very, very difficult. You know, players play off fans. I think commentators obviously play off, mm. play off their reactions and the atmospheres. Uh, as a per- from a personal point of view, how much easier as such has it been for you to be able to commentate on games now that fans have been back? Well, apart from Swansea, <laughs> that was hard on Saturday because it was just sort of, you know, 70%, 76% possession to the Swans and and it was really hard to sort of get into it. But um, that day against Stoke you're talking about was enormous because it was, we'd been outside the ground for an hour before kickoff. We had people in tears, fans in tears coming to us, not knowing what's going to happen next. You had that sense of... Um, this is our club. This is, you know, putting your chest out and, and shouting and singing uh, from the ground. I mean, the attendance wasn't massive that afternoon. Um, and I've got it here in the book, I think. Uh, Stoke, uh, what was it? Uh, 20,545. Wasn't massive, but they made a really big noise. Um, and it was emotional. The people were emotional. It's It was brilliant. It was absolutely brilliant. And, you know, Stoke were a good side. They were fourth. Um, and they took half, they took a half to get going. Derby scored twice in about two minutes, um, and they defended out. They scored twice for the first time in a, in a league game that, this season, and, and they defended the game out. Yes, they conceded, but after the goal on fifty-eight, Tom Tom Ince had a shot that went wide. A goal. They 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 controlled it, and getting over the line and getting that first home win was massive, and you could feel it around the ground. So, yeah. <laughs> I've got no excuses for that. 
it's just the way it is and and I always think that if you think about I always feel that if you think about those people who aren't watching a stream or or, or just listening I always think of my grandparents having the radio on in the kitchen of their their um their house when they were alive just around the corner and um I always think it was just on and Graham Richards would be commentating and I was a really young boy uh, I wasn't going to games then because it was probably really really young uh, this is back in the mid 80s and if his voice raised you'd hear it and then you know that something had happened so my grandfather would go in and have a listen and they'd either scored or whatever um but I I just always get this thing where people can't see you they can't see the the, the game so you've got to paint that picture you've got to take the game through the radio and into their house so i'll make it, no excuses for getting emotional and it obviously i will because you know of what we talked about earlier it's my team but i think um as long as i stay in line you know that that's that's a good thing and, and at the end of the day we're making radio it's entertainment and it's providing the story and uh, when they win, it's fantastic because it's easier and we can be jolly and funny and dramatic and loud. But the fine line is when they lose, you've got to be constructive in your criticism and you've got to be fair, um, which is why you go back to questions, questions that fans want asking, but questions that you've got, you can't ask come in post-match where questions where and I'm guilty of this but if you try and lead a question with your opinion that could go very wrong depending on who you're interviewing um and and I've heard it before and I've had it before but um luckily um Wayne Rooney is an absolute diamond so <laughs> we're all right with that but um yeah I've just gone off on a tangent <laughs> No, and you've you've said two things there, and that's gonna that's gonna be all the questions for me that, that we can wrap up real nice. I really do feel since this things come through, right? The fans are feeling the way that they're feeling. It does feel like a dam of emotion, uh, a, a dam of emotion is kind of burst here, right? And we're all kind of rebuilding ourselves as Derby County fans, as the football club rebuilds and whatever. And I do really feel like there's a much better connection now between this mm. group of players and the fans and everybody's kind of coming together where I don't necessarily think me personally, I've not necessarily felt that since playoff season under Frank Lampard. Then after that, you know, it was kind of a bit of a weird one with the loans and the Rooney signing. And then there was COVID and you kind of felt disconnected from yeah. the players and whatever. And you really do feel like there's a bit of a, a reconnection. First of all, your thoughts on that. And second point to that is how important is that going to be as, as this club and this fan base and we as a collective Derby County, right? All of us encompassing our club move forward. I think it's a mutual appreciation between players and supporters because they've had a season and a half of no supporters in the ground. So the players, and, and it was soulless Pride Park, just with players' voices and ball bouncing sound effect. Well, you could hear it. Ball was bouncing. You could hear it bouncing. Um, it was soulless. So I think the players appreciate the supporters more. And I think the fans appreciate the fact that they can be there and it's their club and they haven't been able to pump their chest and, and represent their club home and away. So I think that's why the atmosphere 
at Pride Park and away from home is is fantastic because of the mutual appreciation. But also, I think this crop of players that Wayne Rooney's got, they're good people. They seem like nice people. Um, and I think that, you know, there's not, there's not a load of people who are there just picking up the money, which is why you see so much effort from them. And the characters in the dressing room, the leaders in the dressing room, you know, like your Curtis Davises, you feel Jackie Elkers because obviously they've done it before. Um, and then you've got the mixture of youth. You've got Graham Shinney, who, you know, will say it like it is. Um, and you've got Kazim, who is just incredible. So I think that's why the connection is there. But it's like anything, I think, in society at the moment, people are just, A, glad to be alive, B, glad to be allowed out, and C, glad to be able to go and watch football again because, you know, we look back at those 18 months and it wasn't so long ago, it was June, wasn't it? You look back at those 18 months and you think, how did we get through that? That's bonkers. You're not allowed out your house. You get one, ex one hour of exercise a day. I have to watch Derby County on Rams TV or listen to the radio. <laughs> you know, all that. How did we get through that? Shuffling through supermarkets, terrified that you'd be too close to people who might have something that in could infect you that you don't really understand. So I think there's just a, um, there's a completely a different mindset in 90% of the normal people in the human race that we're very lucky to be able to go back to some sort of normal because, I mean, there's a lot of people who haven't been able to and a lot of people who we've lost um, and a lot of people who unfortunately don't care. But um, there's good times coming at Derby. I just feel that because of the, the new broom. We don't know who the new broom is yet, but the broom is... Trigger's broom is being bristled. Let's put it that way. I mean, one thing that's bonkers to me is, is that it, it's like two months away from 2022. And the last thing mm. I remember, it was, it was 2019. I mean, that's just bonkers to me that 2010, it just feels like we're going into the future so fast. Yeah. Be before we finish, you mentioned his name several times in that last question. And that is the manager, Wayne Rooney. And I will, mm. I will happily hold my hand up here. I mean, Wayne Rooney has been a childhood icon of mine since I can remember since he burst onto the scene. But I was always very skeptical when he got the Derby job. I was very skeptical of him last season. I personally didn't necessarily think that he was the right man for the job. That's just me personally. But I'll tell you one thing. This season, he's very, he's very, he's impressed me a lot with what he's had to deal with, with mm. that he's handled himself, with everything that's been thrown at him. And we said Philip Kaku had dealt with a lot of different things. And he had done with a lot of things. And he dealt with it with great aplomb. And Rooney's done almost the same thing. We've heard all these different things. I know he bought a drone to watch sessions at training. There's been reports of him buying at hotel trips and whatever. I don't, I don't think those are necessarily confirmed or unconfirmed or whatever. Um, it feels like he's galvanized this group of players. He's, he's had to work under. I mean, there's, there's, no, there's, there's a low budget, and then there's no budget, and then there's Rooney's budget, where he's going to, like, scrape in the, scrape in the bottom of the barrel here to get value and get players in there that can fight. And like you said, he's – He's changed, he's kind of transformed this team so they all want to work hard for one another, which is not something we've seen from an entire squad at Derby County for many a year. Um, your thoughts on your thoughts on, on Wayne Rooney? We've not seen anything like this, I don't think, since Nigel Clough. Since Nigel Clough brought in players, we all know them. You know, that that the youngsters 
from Scotland, from lower leagues, and the camaraderie and the togetherness and the work ethic, right up until he left Derby in 2013 and Steve McLaren took it on for that, shall we say, that season and then maybe half the next season, then it all changed, as we know. But um, Wayne Rooney has just got this leadership quality where he will protect his players from everything that's going on around them. And he will come across calmly, collectively, which I didn't expect. And, and he doesn't, he's not one for the big headlines. He's not one for the, you know, in interviews. He's not one for, for sort of ranting and raving and getting himself into trouble with authorities. And the fact that he's had a summer and he's got his two uh, backroom staff with him, I just think you can see what he's trying to achieve. He's calling in favours from people he knows in the game and he's played with. And I think the signings he's made are, are good additions, strengthening additions. Still needs a striker, but without any money, you're not going to get one unless you fall on a diamond, which is, you know, you never know. But um, I think the future under Rooney could be quite bright if you can get the chance to spend a bit of money and, and, and bring in a proper, you know, a proper batch of players that are going to strengthen and offer different qualities. Um, he's had one summer with no budget, as you say, and he's done all right with that, with his contacts. So you would expect perhaps if he gets a transfer window and some cash to spend, who knows what might happen. There's definitely a change in the way Derby have played this season, and that's what we wanted to see. The football under Philip was was negative, um, and there were some bright points, but there were a lot of low points, a lot of dull points. And bless him, he was a nice guy, but it just didn't work out for him. And now, you know, Derby have a leader, and no one's going to question him because they'll just he'll just say, "Here are my medals." <laughs> you know, I know what I'm talking about. Here are my medals, and he's had a lot of people coaching him as he's some top managers. So, yeah, he's a, he's he's a nice guy, and. Um, Again, you see all these people portrayed in the media, these stars. Lampard was very personable. It ended badly. And, and you know, I don't think um, that whole fiasco after the playoff final, I think that, that should have happened a lot quicker because I think that was pulling the rug away from Philip Koku before he even, even sat on it. <laughs> um, so, yeah, the future is, I think the future could be quite good with Rooney if, if things go to plan, really, with with takeover and money and, and and luck you know I think that, that that's a great way to finish because th they were my sentiments uh, when Corey was banging the drum for Rooney not being the right man I was right behind it saying no, I don't know give him give of nobody expected of what is going off at the club to have happened <laughs> but you've got to give him you've got to give him a nod towards him sticking around for me personally he could have most other people would have walked in, in this situation, I would argue. That goes to show you that he's a fighter. He, he is willing to fight. And I think I, the point that you made there, this is very much a Clough-esque period of time where a lot of a rebuild has to happen. And hey, look where that led us eventually. Um, who knows? Like you say, that, that could well be coming around the corner. Um, a little bit more patience from the fans, maybe. Let, let's see what happens. Let's see what the administrators say. Let's mm. get all the facts out there. Then we can make judgments um, and obviously continue continue to get behind the team as a fan base. I think that's obviously the best thing that we can do, really. Agreed.
time is up. Ed, we've taken up more than enough of your time on your day off. Thank you very much for your, uh, for your thoughts and insights. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you again. Thanks again. Don't be strangers, will you? No, not at all. Well, I'm sure we'll we'll sort something out. I'm sure there's plenty of big news, breaking news coming up uh, over the over the next few months. I'm sure we'll be able to uh, our paths will cross again. But Ed, again, thanks very much for joining us. Pleasure, Corey. As always, thank you, Jason. You're more than welcome, and Ed. Thanks for thanks for spending the afternoon with us. I actually just got a notification from BBC Sport on my phone, and I thought, oh crap, what's going on at Derby right now? <laughs> it wasn't. It was about Watford. So I was like, oh, that was. Yeah, I've just got the same. <laughs> <laughs> But Ed, Ed, thank, Ed, thank you, thank you so much for for giving us your insights and, and always being so personal with us. No problem at all. Anytime. Until next time. Obviously, international break. We've got a game in what is it, seven days or however long it may well be for the Preston Preston game against Deepdale. Looking forward to uh, not going to that. Um, it's, it's far too far too far away for me. Um, but until next time, everybody, up the Rams. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the latest episode of the Rams Review Podcast. We would love it if you'd like to get in touch. On Twitter, we're at RamsReview1. On Facebook, it's Rams Review Podcast. Or you could drop us an email, ramsreview at hotmail.com. Until next time, up the Rams. The Rams Review Podcast are proud to be part of the Fan Hub 100, putting fans first.